Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 27 and go through verse 36. Again, that's John's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 27 through 26. Let us hear now from the word of God. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him now in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're spending our summer uh, looking at Jesus's prayers, the instances in the gospel accounts in which we find Jesus praying. Now, we find ourselves here in chapter 12 of John's gospel account, and, and we need to know a bit about what's going on to understand fully what Jesus is talking about. At, towards the beginning of chapter 12, we're told of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this is what we as Christians celebrate as Palm Sunday. It's the one in which Jesus enters Jerusalem on the week that he's going to die. They wave palm branches. They lay out cloaks before him. He gets a royal treatment because he was the Messiah. And they thought the Messiah is coming to Jerusalem to overthrow Caesar. They were expecting an earthly ruler. A Christ who would live forever, that they would no longer ever be ruled by someone else, and that they would rule in the way of David. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and he does come, and he comes to overthrow the ruler of the world. Spoiler alert, it's not Caesar. It's Satan. And he does come to sit on his throne forever. 
In fact, in this very week, by the week's end, Jesus would be lifted up, hanging on a cross, bearing the world's sins, gasping his last breath. And it wouldn't be until the new week, that Sunday morning, that he would be resurrected. So Jesus comes in Jerusalem. He knows how this week is going to end. In pain, in suffering, in judgment, and in separation from his father. And he tells us, he tells the crowd, he tells the disciples, now my soul is troubled. And in the Greek, it, it uses a, a continuous verb, as in that now my soul is in constant turmoil. It wasn't just a fleeting moment of trouble. He, Jesus is describing an emotional anguish of constant turmoil as he faces this week. And so he tells us that he's in this trouble. His soul's in trouble because he knows what the weekend looks like. How he who knew no sin will come to bear the weight and the punishment for all sin. We know this because of the matter in which he speaks after verbalizing this exchange, in which he begins talking about the type of death he will have and the effects of the cross. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So the one who never knew sin is now going to bear the weight of all sins. All the sins of the universe. And because of that, he would soon endure God's justice. God's wrath as he died for our sins. Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So this week ends with Jesus on the cross, lifted up. And we talk about the sufficient work of Christ on the cross, that Jesus' atoning work on the cross, his blood being shed is the only sacrifice ever needed for the forgiveness of sins. No more sacrifices needed to be made. What Christ did was sufficient for our salvation. What Christ did was sufficient for us to have eternal life. What Christ did was sufficient for our joy, our peace, our comfort, our hope, and our love. And so we talk about the sufficiency of what he did. And his death was sufficient because as an infinite being, in this moment of time, he paid an infinite price for our sin. That's what makes his work sufficient. And this is why his soul is troubled. Throughout this week leading up to the cross, we are told of his agony throughout the gospel of counts. 
In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 34, Jesus says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he continues on in verse 35, going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And it wasn't just going a little further that he fell down one time. It's that continuous verb that he kept falling down and kept falling forward and falling in prayer to God of this anguish and this agony, knowing of the punishment, the wrath he would endure. And in Luke 22, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. This is in the garden of Gethsemane, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's there in the garden. Jesus prays, Abba, Father, dearest Father. He has this intimate relationship with his Father in which part of the punishment is he will be separated from the Father. And so on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathes his last breath. And so he reveals to us at the beginning of this week, he knows what's coming. He tells us his soul is troubled. But he knows the covenant of redemption. He was there with the Father before the foundation of the world in which they laid out their plan for redemption of you and I for the glory of God. And so he says, and what shall I say? Because I'm troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? With that question, he tells us that there is no way he is turning away from the cross. He can't. He must go to Calvary. It's not in Jesus' nature to break covenant. It's not in God's nature to break covenant. They can't break this covenant that has been laid before the foundation of the world. He must go to Calvary. And so he prays, Father, glorify your name. That's his prayer. Father, glorify your name. In the midst of this constant turmoil of his soul, of this impending punishment and wrath that he will endure, his prayer is for God to glorify his name. He prays for the Father's glory. Now, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, now, a catechism, if you don't know, is a set of instructions. It's, it's based out of Scripture. Uh, 
if you're Catholic or Anglican or Episcopal or Lutheran or Presbyterian or, or maybe some other tradition, there's catechisms out there to, that raise you up and teach you the faith. And, and it's a set of questions and answers that are guided by Scripture. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, its very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. And here, the week leading up to Jesus' death, he seeks the same thing. To glorify the Father. Later in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, one we studied earlier this year, he talks about that when he's glorified, Jesus, that when he being Jesus, that when he's glorified, the Father is glorified. And then specifically, he says in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. That work? His death and resurrection. And Jesus knows. Jesus knows that his death on the cross and his resurrection is all about the Father's glory. For it's by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. God's glory alone. You see, our salvation isn't about us. It's about God's glory. It's about him receiving glory. You see, when we read the Bible, when we read God's word, it's not a story about us. We're not to read ourselves as the hero of the story or even the central character. It's about God and who he is. It's about Jesus who comes to glorify the Father. And in doing so, we are redeemed. For it's in Jesus' death and his resurrection and our coming to faith that God is most glorified. And now here, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And he answers his prayer. This is one of three times in the gospel accounts that God is audible to others, that we hear God's voice. God doesn't remain quiet. He can't. He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. answered prayer from heaven. Not only did Jesus hear it, not only did the disciples hear it, but the crowd who was gathered around Jesus heard it. Some didn't, some didn't have ears to hear and they heard thunder. Others who did hear it ascribed it to an angel from heaven, but it was the Father. And so Jesus interprets it for the crowd, for the disciples, for us. And he says, the voice has come for your sake not mine. The answer to Jesus's prayer wasn't even for his own comfort in the midst of his turmoil, but it was for our comfort and peace when we see Jesus hanging on the cross at the end of the week. 
It was so that we wouldn't lose hope, so that we would see that when Jesus is lifted up on that cross, that God is being glorified in that moment. So Jesus tells us, verse 31 through 33, he continues to interpret God's answer that he will glorify his name again. He tells us what it means, what the effects of the cross are for us. He begins in verse 31 by saying, now is the judgment of the world. And that is when judgment was exercised on Christ on that cross, mankind judged itself. The next effect that Jesus tells us in verse 31 is that now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Again, it's not Caesar. It's Satan. Satan's defeat is, has already been secured. And the clock is ticking on his ultimate demise. For when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he stood victorious over sin and death and rendered Satan powerless. That there is nothing in all the world above the world or under the world that can ever separate you, dear brothers and sisters, from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. And so Satan's present flurry of fury that we experience in this world is actually a sign that he knows his time is short, that Jesus is coming back. And so finally, Jesus says, in verse 33, he tells us, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. When he hangs high on that cross, shedding his blood, he will draw all people to him. And he's telling us that all who will be saved will be saved by looking and relying upon him. As the hymn writer tells us, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. And when we see Jesus hanging there, this is the glory of God. So if you're here today, or you're with us virtually, and you are not yet a believer, see Jesus' troubled soul as he became a curse for you as he suffered separation from his Father for you, as he willingly and ever so lovingly bore the penalty of sin. Not only for your sake, but for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
we are ever so grateful that before the foundation of the world, you sought a plan to redeem us. That you found yourself loving us when we wanted nothing to do with you. Thank you. Lord, thank you that Jesus rules forever. That he defeated sin and death. That he is our hope, our strength, and our guide. And thank you, God, that we can never, ever be separated from your love again. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.